What a tremendous opportunity to worship the Lord tonight on this Good Friday night. I just want to remind everyone that we will be celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper together tonight. And you do not need to be a member of Charleston Baptist Church, but you do need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so if you've not already picked up the elements of the Lord's Supper, it looks just like this. We have uh, stations up front on these tables and stations in the back tables there as well. Please make sure you have the elements of the Lord's Supper uh, because in just a moment we'll be celebrating that together. Uh, we will be reading through uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. If you're here this evening and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to open up to page 925. 925. On this Good Friday night, 2022, uh, as we look back to the cross, I want us to see through God's word the blessings that we have from the cross. In Matthew 27, we'll read the passage together. Uh, I'll read the passage in full and then we'll unpack it uh, a little bit. The scripture says, beginning in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Tonight, as we study God's word, as we are reminded on that Good Friday night, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus nailed to the cross. It's in that moment that we, looking back, see some of the most amazing and miraculous events in all of human history. And yet, in our passage tonight, in order for us to rightly see the blessings that come from the cross... We need to look at the very question that Jesus cries out to the Father. That question being found in verse 46 in the second part. He says, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthania. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 22, and I would encourage you to read through Psalm 22. It's an amazing picture of what is experienced here on the cross. And Jesus raises a question. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you separated yourself from me? Why have you turned your back on me? Now, what's interesting with this particular question is that every time Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he always quotes using the Greek language. That's the common language of the day. And so Jesus, when he quotes from the Old Testament, he will speak it in the Greek. But here, only here, when Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he doesn't quote from the Greek, he quotes from the Hebrew. 
Now, why is this important? Well, everything hinges on our understanding of the word why, because that unlocks the beauty of the question that Jesus proposes to the Father. You see, in the Hebrew language, there are two words for the word why. Uh, the first one being madua. The word madua is looking back to past events and asking the question why because of confusion. Now that makes sense because Jesus has done nothing wrong and a lot has transpired in a short period of time and here Jesus is on the cross and he cries out why and so we can rightly see that if he answers or cries out with Madua it's the question why? There's confusion here. God why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering? You see, some of us have cried out with that question, why? Why are we suffering? But Jesus doesn't use the word madua. There is no confusion here for Jesus. Instead, the Hebrew word that he uses is the word lama. Now, lama doesn't look back to past events with confusion. No, it looks forward to future events to come. And here, Jesus, with incredible strength, is asking the Father to use this moment in history to reveal his purposes in the world. What a beautiful reminder on this Good Friday night, 2022. So it's not, God, why have you done this to me? But God, will you show, show the world the purpose of my very suffering. And it's that question that Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's what unleashes the blessings for you and I tonight as followers of Jesus Christ. And the blessings are amazing. One, the wrath of God is satisfied. The wrath of God is satisfied. We see this beginning in verse 45. The scripture says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So we have a three-hour span of time here, but we need to be reminded that Jesus was on the cross much earlier than that. How do we know? Mark 15, 25 says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. So the third hour refers to 9 a.m., and then when we look at Matthew 27, what we're studying tonight, the period of time is from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. So from 12 noon to 3 p.m. So from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., six total hours, Jesus is on the cross. But something specifically happens from noon to 3 p.m. And what is it that happens? Well, the scripture says that darkness was over the land. Now, this is fascinating because during the Passover feast, this particular time period, the, the sun between 12 and 3 p.m. would have been fully bright. And so this event that's happening, this darkness that is going over the land, is a miraculous, supernatural thing that God has done. And this idea of darkness doesn't just talk about the inability to see, but it talks about something that you can actually feel. Now, many of y'all know that my wife and I, our family, has a, a young puppy. He's five months old, almost six months old now, so he's growing. And sometimes he'll wake up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and he needs to use the restroom. And yes... I'm the one that takes them out. And we do have floodlights, and they are censored and all that stuff. But every once in a while, old Jethro, our young Jethro, he wants to navigate down the side of the house where we don't have any lights. And at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., there are times where I'm thinking, you need to hurry up because 
that, that chill of darkness is starting to set in. And some of us have experienced that before. And, and that's what's happening here. Not just the inability to see, but something that is being felt. Now, when we think about the word darkness, we need to be reminded that the word darkness uh, represents uh, judgment. God's judgment. And here we have to understand that this judgment that God the Father is putting on God the Son is one of great agony. How do we know? Well, right before the events of the cross, Jesus is spending time with the Father and he's praying and he says this in Luke 22. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and, as, and he, his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. This, this cup is the cup of God's righteous wrath and anger towards sin. The sinless son bearing the sins of the world, Jesus is standing in our place. And at the end of those three hours of darkness, at 3 p.m., with a loud voice, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time and the last time, there was separation between the Father and the Son. This is significant because Jesus always, when he's talking to the Father, he always uses the word Father. But here, and only here, does he say what? He says, God. Why? Jesus is standing in our place. Our sins are nailed to him, absorbing the full wrath of God. The Father's back is turned towards his Son. Because of his holiness, he cannot be in the very presence of sin. Even our sin that is nailed to his very perfect Son, Jesus Christ. His holiness demands justice. And when the full judgment was poured out on Jesus that day, the scripture says in Matthew 27, verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. He died. But what's important here is the scripture says that he yielded it up. That means he voluntarily laid down his life for the sins of the world. Remember what Jesus had already said in John 10. He says, no one takes it from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The charge I have received from my Father. And so Jesus is telling us that it's not because of the pain that he's suffering that caused death. It's the fact that he voluntarily laid down his life for the sins of the world. And it says here that he cried out one last time. Now, we don't see it in Matthew's account of the gospel, what he cried out, but we do see it in John's account of the gospel. And what is it that he cried out? What were the, the very last words uttered before Jesus died on the cross? John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What wonderful words. It is finished. Jesus satisfies the very wrath of God. Now, we can't fully know the intimate details between the Father and the Son and the horror that Jesus experienced in those three hours of darkness, but we do know that on the cross, Jesus satisfied the very wrath of God. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, prophesies about this very event. In Isaiah 53, we saw it earlier on the screen. Surely he, speaking of Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet he, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophet Isaiah prophesying about this event 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But not only that, John the Baptist himself prophesies of this very event. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus for the very first time, he says in John 1.29, the next day he, speaking of John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So tonight, on this Good Friday night, we, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. But not only that, Jesus Christ has given us divine access to the Father. He has given us divine access to the Father. After Jesus yielded up his spirit, the scripture says in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. This is another miracle that God has performed. The very fact that something has been torn from top to bottom. Everything's hinging on this curtain. Now let's think about this curtain for just a minute. Now we have to understand the temple makeup in the New Testament going from the Old Testament into the New Testament, what was that temple looking like? Well, a temple had a series of courts. Uh, the very largest court, all the Jewish people could gather, including the women. But there was an, a court inside that court, a smaller court, and only the Jewish men could be in that particular court. But then there was another court inside that court, and only the, the, the priests could be in there. But then there was another court within that court called the Holy Place, where only certain priests could be in there, but then inside that court, there was an even smaller court that was called the Holy of Holies, and only one person, one man, the high priest, could go in there only one time a year on the Day of Atonement, where he would uh, take a sacrifice and place it on the mercy seat, as symbolizing that the sins of the people have been cleansed and had to do it every year. So there's a physical curtain that's roughly 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. Back in the day, we used to have those big phone books, right? Remember those? So think about a phone book that thick, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide. And it was a daily reminder, a reminder every day that your sin has separated you from the holiness of God. The very presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. Now the question is, why are all the barriers now knocked down? Why is it that everyone, not just Jew, but also Gentile in Christ, has full access to God? The answer to that question is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, through Christ, has exchanged our garments of sin for the very righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we can, we have access to him right now. The scripture says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, you can go to the Father anytime with anything because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this, this one, this high priest, Jesus, he, he understands what we're walking through. So he's not just God, but he's a personal God. 
Right? The scripture says in Hebrews 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, the confession of our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. At the very time of your need, guess what God gives you through Christ? He gives you the grace in order to endure. On the cross, Jesus gave us divine access to the Father, but also on the cross, we find that death is defeated. Death is defeated. This is another miraculous act of God, and this one's very interesting. Verse 52 and 53, the scripture says, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that means they were already dead, they were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, the holy city, talking about Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Now, what's interesting with these two verses is is that in the Greek, there are no punctuation marks, right? In the English language, we have punctuation marks, and they actually matter. I know, because I failed some English classes, because I didn't know where punctuation marks went. But the challenge is, where do we put the punctuation marks? And, and the discussion that is happening is, does, do the punctuation marks go, go before or after his resurrection, or after his resurrection? So where does that punctuation mark line? And so, do we read it like this? And after they came out of the tombs on Friday, talking about the people, the ones that have already died, the saints, and that's the key, the saints, those who have trusted in the coming Messiah. After they had come out of the tombs on Friday, they entered the holy city and appeared to many after his resurrection on Sunday. So, were these uh, individuals resurrected, if you will, before Jesus' resurrection on Sunday? Is this kind of like the trailer of the full movie, Right? Is, is God saying, I'm going to give you a demonstration. I'm going to reveal the purpose on why Jesus is dying. And on that day that he dies, on that very day, on Friday, that there are going to be many saints who have already gone and died. They're going to be raised from their tombs. Is that possible? Or is it read like this? After Jesus' resurrection on Sunday, many saints who were dead raised from the tomb on Sunday and went into Jerusalem on Sunday. Now, there's great discussion there. And we can discuss it all day long. And there can be debate about it, but here's what's not debatable. On the cross, Jesus defeated death. He defeated death. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has power over death. That is the devil. When Jesus died on the cross on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, death was defeated. That means, that means today, right now, as followers of Christ, our future resurrection is found in the death of Jesus on the cross. What does that mean? You see, our greatest obstacle for our resurrection from the grave isn't the fact that our bodies physically died. Our greatest obstacle is the fact that we died in our sin. And what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? He, he accomplished the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, our resurrection is founded in the very death of Jesus. Death no longer has a hold on me. Why? Because it didn't have a hold on Jesus. That's why we say and we proclaim every time. In 1 Corinthians 15, these verses, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, Today, right now, we have the full assurance, the complete assurance that we have victory over sin 
and Satan, and yes, even death. So we don't have to walk in this world afraid of dying. Why? Because we have the full assurance of Jesus. Because of his death, it has been defeated. That's why Paul says to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So in those moments of crisis, where you're fearing death, death itself, the divine decision has already been made. And what is that divine decision in Christ? You will live with Jesus forever, right? So there is no fear in this life. And lastly, the sinner is given new life. That's another blessing from the cross. The sinner is given new life. Where do we see that? Verse 54. The scripture says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. That's an understatement, right? And said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This, too, is another miraculous act of God, that God is revealing himself to people. But who is this centurion? This centurion was somebody who had already crucified numerous people. This is, this is a common practice in the Roman world. This centurion not only has more than likely crucified hundreds of people, he has driven more than likely thousands of nails into the flesh of people who are dying. And for him, this is just another day at the office, if you will. At this point in his career, he's already witnessed and he's participated in hundreds, if not thousands, of these crucifixions. But this day, this work day, is a little bit different. The man who once came to work day in and day out, perfecting his craft of torture, void of any emotion or sadness to what he was doing, experienced something totally different on the day during Jesus' crucifixion. He was there, but not just there. He was face to face. How do we know? Mark's account of the gospel in Mark 15 says, And when the centurion who stood facing him face to face saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the son of God. The centurion, the centurion soldier who dedicated his life to his craft, not only was face to face with the Savior of the world, acknowledging Jesus for who he is and what he had accomplished, he's also worshiping the Lord. How do we know? Luke's account of the gospel, Luke 23, 47, says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Only God can do that. The hardened centurion soldier went to work that day just like he did every other day, separated from God because of his sin. But he left work that day as a worshiper of Jesus. The centurion man witnessed and experienced by the grace of God what Jesus asked the Father to do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The centurion received the blessings of the cross. Because of Jesus, the wrath of God is satisfied. Because of Jesus, divine access to the Father is given. Because of Jesus, death is defeated. And because of Jesus, a sinner is given new life. Good Friday is a reminder of the divine purposes of the Father, fulfilled in the Son, available to all people. The question remains, how deep is the love, Father's love for us? Deep enough to send his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and my sins.
John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So tonight as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment, open to all believers, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight? As a follower of Christ, do you recognize the blessings that we have because of the cross? Do you stand today with the full assurance that Jesus' work on the cross, when he said it is finished, it's truly finished. There's nothing that you need to add to it, nor you can't even add to it, and there's nothing that you can take away from it. Are you satisfied in Christ tonight?